are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. I'm a drill sergeant at home, so just tell me where to modulate, and I'll be glad to do that for you. (laughs) Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. Hello. It is Elizabeth. This is Catherine. And we are here shining the spotlight on... Mrs. Kathy Myers today. Welcome, Aww. Kathy. Yay! Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so fun to have you with us. Kathy was born and raised in Maryland, and she grew up on the Chesapeake Bay. Spending time on the Chesapeake Bay, she knows how to crab, fish, and drive speedboats. <laughs> she met her husband, Ron, and he swept her off. He was in Maryland, swept her off her feet, and moved her to Pittsburgh for nine years. They've been married for 44 years. They were in Pittsburgh for nine and have been in Ohio for 36 years. They have six kids, 10 grandkids, and they've been a part of the upper room for 28 years. Kathy used to be a toddler Sunday school teacher for years and years, and she was also our church secretary for 14 years. So we are excited about having her with us today. So welcome, Kathy. Thank you. It's good to be here with you guys. Yes. So tell us, Kathy, what or who lit your light? Part of it would be going back to when I met Ron, and I had had a little dabbling in the church through my great aunts. I had actually joined the Methodist Church when I was 16, but really hadn't had a personal relationship with the Lord. And so when Ron came to Maryland and swept me off my feet, then he moved me to Pittsburgh just before Thanksgiving, which was very hard because we have a very tight family. I have three younger sisters and my mom. We were very, very close. To move to Pittsburgh was an awful wrench in my life. Not to mention the fact that in Maryland, you don't really drive in snow. We have a little bit of ice, but we don't really have snowstorms. When it snows in Maryland, you basically shut the state down. So we had one of the snowiest winters in Pittsburgh. Oh. And I didn't know how off. to I know oh. drive in it. I am stuck at home. Bronze working in a coal yard for seventy hours a week. And I'm not seeing him and I'm home in this little box, the orange box I called it. <laughs> the walls were painted orange in this little rental house we had. And it was like living inside of a pumpkin. Oh. So I'm living inside of a pumpkin. I can't go out because I can't drive. Every third or fourth day, it was more snow. So I spent a lot of time shoveling. I was very lonely. How old were you when you got married? I was 21 when we were married. The following month, I turned 22. So I would say that was probably the darkest winter of my entire life. I was alone, isolated. We had a very limited income. So phone calls home were limited, so I did a lot of letter writing to my mom. Right, because back then there were long-distance bills. Long-distance mm-hmm. bills. For and every could... minute that you talked, <laughs> yep. paid, I don't know how many cents it was. Oh, you could rack it up. And Man. yeah, it was like, do we pay the phone bill or do we buy groceries this week? I think I better start writing letters. Talk or eat. So yeah, it was very, very dark. And Ron's parents lived in Pittsburgh also, and they decided they were going to take me 
to this charismatic church and introduce me to, um, yeah. Holy Rollers? <laughs> the Holy Rollers, yes. So I got my first experience of a charismatic church going from a very staid Methodist background. And so we get back in mom and dad's car and we're in the back seat, Ron and I, and he says, well, so he's all excited. What did you think? I looked at him and I said, if you ever take me back there, I will divorce you. Mm. It was just too much. It, it wasn't explained. It was literally people were falling down, raising their hands, shrieking, clapping. I mean, this church was on fire. <laughs> and I wasn't used to fire. <laughs> so Ron asked his mom to please step in. <laughs> was and he used to that? Was that his background? Yeah, he'd had that through college and stuff, his experience. But mom went to a glow. Yeah. It's still, and it's still it still is. Yeah. yeah. They have chapters around here. I, um, I went to a glow and loved the ladies there. They loved me. They helped me open up, be vulnerable. So... One night, Ron comes home from the coal yard, and I am sobbing, and he's, oh, what is wrong? And, you know, Ron is a fixer. He loves to rush into fires and save people. And so he's like, he's in savior mode. What can I do for you? How do I fix you? And I said, well, I heard on a glow, you have to ask Jesus into your heart. And so I had that prayer, and I just sat here and asked Jesus in my heart, and nothing happened. I'm just sitting here. Nothing happened. I guess he said no. I don't know. And so Ron had to back it up a little bit and explain to me, you know, oh, you got it, girl. And So you came home all by yourself and did that? Yeah. I asked for it in my bedroom. Yeah. I was only 22 and very naive Christian. You know, just a glow is great, but it's not going to teach you fundamentals. And I guess I needed the fundamentals, too. Ron sat on the bed with me and explained about receiving Jesus and how, you know, that prayer worked. But then he took it a step farther and he he helped me ask for the Holy Spirit. And I got my prayer language that Hmm. night. Only a few words, but it was enough to cement what was going on. So about two weeks later, we're at a home group with mom and dad. Folks are praying, and I'm on my knees praying for this gentleman. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm not speaking English. My entire prayer was in my prayer language. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. This is real. You know, Jesus is real. And I just never look back. He's always been my best friend. When my mom got cancer and we couldn't call, we're still on a tight budget, and I'm writing her letters. I'm writing her letters about Jesus. And right after Liz was born, my mom was very bad. My sisters called and said, you need to come. And I mean, Liz was just born, like she was six days old. So we bundled in the car and we went back. I got to see my mom, and she got to hold her namesake, Elizabeth. She got to tell me that through my letters, she had accepted Jesus. I guess that period was really cool because it forced me to write letters and it forced me to really share my heart with my mom. Mm -hmm. My mom was raised very English and you did not tell each other that you loved each other. And I realized that with Ron's family, they they hug, they love, they tell each other they love each other, they they bawl at the drop of a hat. So I, I started telling mom every time I got to call her that I loved her. And it was really funny. One day, I went to hang up. And I said, Mom, you know, I'll talk to you soon. And I went to him. She goes, wait, you forgot. I said, I forgot what? She goes, you forgot to tell me you love me. And I went, 
So it is important to her. It made a difference. Mom was a very reserved person, but the fact that she could say that at the end of her life, that she could tell her grandkids that she loved them, that we could hug and be affectionate, that was really important to me. The fact that she, I know where she is now. Mm -hmm. I do not know where my dad is. I'm hoping he's in heaven, Mm -hmm. but I know where my mom is. Mm -hmm. I love stories like that where people find Jesus and they are so excited about it that they immediately go and share with other people. They keep that torch and they pass it on to other people to find Jesus too. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. My three younger sisters have not really accepted the Lord as their personal Savior. Some of them go to church. Some of them will say a prayer, but for the most part, they don't. It's been a prayer of mine for 44 years that all of my sisters would come to know the Lord in a personal way, and they still call and ask me to pray. It's like, you've got a connection, you know. (laughs) You you need to be talking to the Lord. I said, you know, you could have this connection too, guys. You really could. (laughs) I mean, they might have not made it their own yet, and your mom might have not made it her own immediately, but the difference that was made in you became a seen difference in them. Like, they know, you know, you recognize the need for change as far as, like, emotion and saying, I love you and touch and how important that is, and that's something people long for. Like, Mm -hmm. with your mom, even though she was reserved, something she longed for inside and that you made that. Yeah. I can't wait to get to heaven and give her the biggest hug ever. Yeah. (laughs) You made that change in your family. That's really No, beautiful. God made that change in the Oh, family. God made that change. <laughs> God that made the change in me so that that change could show to my family and definitely believe in giving him all the glory because if I had to do it myself, I'd have really screwed it up. So I think that's the beauty of God's redemptive love is he changes us and then that sparks it in other people because of him first. You it's know. contagious. We love because he yeah. first loved us. They see something they want. There's that glow or that peace that you don't get in the broken world, but you do get in God's kingdom. That's really important to share. So tell us what lights you up. Uh, children in <laughs> any shape or form or color. We've always So looked... much so that she has six of them. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. They're multiplying. <laughs> They're multiplying. Yeah. Ron and I, when we first got married, decided we were going to have six kids. That was our goal. We lost our first child, and then we got Lizzie. We were blessed with her, and Becky, and Renee. And then I lost one between Renee and Jackie. In that interim, when we lost that one, we decided, well, we've got three. Maybe we ought to think about adopting. We'd talked about adopting before, and so we went ahead and went through the process of filling out all the paperwork with the Bear Foundation. We started going through their counseling they were just setting up an office in Ohio, and so it was hard to get a hold of them. We did get start the counseling sessions. They were flying because the lady would say, well, we need all this paperwork filled out. And she goes, um, if you could get to us, get it to us in a month. I looked at her at the first session. I said, it will be on your desk on Friday. And she goes, oh, no, you don't understand. This, there's a lot. I said, it will all be on your desk on Friday. And it was. Our doctor signed off without seeing us, you know, because we'd been with them for so many years. Our friends immediately wrote reference letters and overnighted them. So we got on the list, and we were waiting and waiting and waiting, and then we didn't hear anything for months. Ronnie had a really good birthday, and a few days later, we found out that uh, we got a phone call from Bear that they had a baby boy for us. 
And so we were thrilled. And we're doing the Dance of Joy and yay. And we had a couple more counseling sessions. And this lady says, you you guys are ready for this baby. We're going to go ahead and you're going to get him next week. And I went to work because I was working part-time at Fire Force. I was also counseling at the Crisis Pregnancy Center, which was right next door. And I said, you know what? I don't feel so good. I walked in. I said, guys, I need a pregnancy test. And they said, what? (laughs) I said, yeah. So Ron's over at the office. Yay, we're getting a baby boy next week. And I walk in. I sit down. I am grinning from ear to ear. And our secretary looked at me and said, Kath, you were just next door, weren't you? I said, yeah. She goes, you're pregnant. I said, yes, I am. (laughs) And Ron comes in. He goes, what? He called his dad and he goes, dad, for the first time in my life, I need a drink. (laughs) So we actually got clearance on babies, two babies in one day. And then um, it was, this was the hard part. Uh, A few weeks later, I had a miscarriage. Thought that was going to be it. Well, here I had miscarried Jackie's twin. Yeah, fraternal twins. And so I'd miscarried the one, but the other one was still viable. I was on bed rest for three weeks with three young kids and a new baby. David was only about seven months old. And how old was he when you got him? He was five months. Okay. And so, yeah, life got real interesting. We had grandmas and babysitters, but eventually it all worked out. So we had Jackie and that made five. So four of ours. We adopted David. And then somewhere when we started to become empty nesters, I told Ron, we had grandkids and I was watching grandkids. I said, but I still feel like there's there's something missing, honey. I said, maybe we ought to think about adopting a teenager. And he goes, you are out of your mind. <laughs> he works with them all the time coaching. It's like, Kath, you have no idea. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I still feel like there's this hole in my heart. So that's when he said, you know, Okay. This young man approached me. He goes, you know, I've been coaching him since he was like 15. He says he's 19 now. He's actually an adult, but he's got a really hard living circumstance. He can't go home. He has no home. He has no place to stay. He's looking for work. He said he's a good kid, but he just really needs stability in his life. And so I said, okay. We asked Dimitri to come live with us. And Dimitri lived in our house for like two years. We got him on his feet. We got him in college. He didn't have like a, I think it was a, like a birth certificate or something. We helped him find his documentation and, and set him up. He eventually moved out on his own, but we've been mom and dad since since he was 19. He's 26 now and still is there every Christmas and Thanksgiving and he's Met the love of his life, Lily, and yeah, so God has given us six kids, so I guess we reached our number, our goal. (laughs) (laughs) And now they're multiplying. That's amazing. Now the grandkids are multiplying. It's so good. It is. Your family's so good. Even Christmas morning when we all weren't able to be together, we had four of the six. It was still a house full. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was still like 17 for breakfast. So, And we were all out helping each other shovel out. You know, it's a team. Family is community. And mm-hmm. yeah, Dimitri even got up out of bed on Christmas morning and went to help Dinez and Becky shovel out their condo job oh, so that they thanks, could make Dimitri. it in time for Christmas breakfast. So 
We've taught them well. Yes. <laughs> oh, Dimitri. I know. So all those kids, what what do you love so much about that? Not I'm not saying that in a bad way. Like why no, do you love no. kids? But <laughs> um they make me smile. They are the joy of my life. You learn as much from kids as you teach. There is nothing more wonderful than taking my three-year-old Gracie outside and she just stops right in the middle of the driveway and goes, look at that tree. And it's like, you see it for the very first time. Awe and wonder. Yeah. I've always loved sunsets and and sunrises and sharing those with my kids and my grandkids. You know, you have to stop and, and take those moments of wonder and share them with somebody. And we've had the grandkids and, uh, Becky's family specifically, they love meteor showers. We've been out laying on top of our hot tub, the cover, looking up at the sky, watching for meteors. There's nothing more fun than that, watching them ride their bikes on the farm, and they fish in our pond. They know Grandma has a storehouse of treats, and they know right where to go to get it. What's not to like about kids is pretty much my question. And even when I wasn't home helping to raise my kids and then my grandkids, there was a bit of a gap before the next batch of grandkids showed up. I had that need for kids, so I volunteered at Crestview. Um, I worked in the library. I did the host program for teaching kids how to read. I went up to, I can't remember if it was Beagley at that time or Akron Children's but I became a cuddler in the NICU. Oh, Did I think you? I would love that job. It is actually kind of scary. Because they're so little? They are minuscule. You can hold these little ones in their hand, and yet they need to have a certain amount of touch. You have to know their head has to be elevated because they don't have the strength while you're feeding them. So you have to, oh, it, there's a, a whole, science behind it, probably. Yeah, you go through a whole training with one of the doctors. But so worth it when Avery was born and was actually in the NICU herself mm. because of some issues. I knew the routine and they were glad to see me and I just always have filled my life with children. I had no idea about the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Yeah. I know that's like a whole other podcast, but I would love to hear always, your stories. That's crazy. When we were first married, um, we knew we had to wait a little bit, so we had two years before we tried to have Liz. So I kind of got, my heart was with kids. I uh, joined the local crisis pregnancy center, went through the counseling. I can't say that we did a lot of the counseling back then. We didn't have a lot of clients walk in because it was a, kind of a new concept. Yeah. But I got to be on the groundbreaking floor and yeah. have some input into how to set it up and how it should be run. And then uh, when we lost our first baby, there were two years in there where there was a gap that I couldn't get pregnant. And we actually thought I wasn't going to be able to get pregnant again. I think my goal in that during the counseling time was just to make women realize how precious that gift is, that not everybody gets to have that gift of a child. With our own daughter, Liz, when she realized that she was pregnant out of wedlock and it was definitely, you know, a taboo in our family, something we taught. She was afraid to come to us. God actually revealed it to us in a prophetic word, I guess. And I went up to her room and I I was like, Liz, are you pregnant? And she said, yeah, I am. And she started crying and um, she had an appointment the next day at a, well, you'd say an abortion clinic. 
but she was going just for the test. And I said, oh, no. So we'll take care of this ourselves. But in that defining moment, when your first response, what do you say? What do you say to your child? Because it's going to define your relationship for the rest of your life. And God actually made me shut my mouth and think, what am I going to say to my daughter? I am hurt. I am disappointed. But I love her. And I need to cover her with God's love. And I just looked at her and I said, a baby is never a mistake. It is always a blessing. And I gave her a big hug and I said, we are here to support you. We are going to love you through this, whatever it takes. And I have an amazing relationship with Liz. Mm -hmm. And Hunter, who was just such an amazing little first <laughs> grandchild, he had the most beautiful blue eyes. And when he looked at you, they just lit up. And I mean, how could you not love a gift like a child? So I have been abundantly, gloriously blessed by the Lord because when I was 16, my sole goal in life was to be a wife and mother. Thank you, Lord. I have been blessed. <laughs> People would say, what's your bucket list? I said, I already, I already have it fulfilled. <laughs> I don't have anything else I really need. Thanks. Well, you are definitely letting your light shine in the family arena. For it's sure. so beautiful to see, you know, 44 years, you have a lot of experience. You've gone through a lot of loss and heartache and health issues with kids and all sorts of things. And you're still, you and Ron are still so anointed for family. And I think people look at you and your family and you're a light to them. Well, thank you. You know, sometimes family is hard. People have a hard time with family. But I think if you can find people like Kathy and Ron who do it well, even when it's hard, and even when there's disappointments and pain and loss and gaps, but they just keep faithfully doing it well, find those yeah. people and wrap wrap yourselves around them because they shine bright. So mm -hmm. tell us, share with us some of the ways that you're intentionally letting your light shine in that area. First, I want to say I actually use one of your lines a lot, and that is families are messy. Yes. Life is messy. <laughs> families are messy. I love that. When you said that from the pulpit one day, I said, yes, that's just, that's coined right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's love and messiness, and don't ever expect perfection because you're not going to get it. People will let you down. People will disappoint you, but, but we're all human. We're all going to do that. So extend a lot of grace, I think, in families and, and communities and churches. And by extending grace, you release people and you don't consume yourself with bitterness or disappointment. You well up with love and hope again. And I think that's an important lesson in life. Just extend grace. And I forgot what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just an example, I think that you said of how are you letting your light shine? Um, well, we're still raising grandkids. I watch Gracie four days a week. I have a revolving door at my house. If you've ever spent a weekend at my house, for 48 hours, you'll see that my kids walk through. They never knock. I don't want them to knock. They uh, graze through my kitchen, especially my son-in-law. <laughs> you know, my grandkids show up out of the blue. They want to go fishing at the farm, or they want to ride their bikes, or... There's new gizmo, the hoverboard with this little, like a cart thing that they sit on. Yeah. It's so cool. I watched Have them you tried it? Around. They say I'm light enough I could try it, but no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> they say it's like zero turn. Your hip, Kathy. Yeah. 
No, don't want to do that. <laughs> it's really fun. Is it? They have the attachments at Jonathan's house, and we go flying down the road. I think in the summer when it's not icy out, I might give it a start whirl. Start slow. But yeah, start <laughs> slow. I don't think my grandsons know how to start slow. Let's just push it all the way, Grandma. It's fine. <laughs> we love having the shine group out for bonfires in the men's group. We love doing the um, October trunk or treat. Oh, I thought that was so much fun at the barn. I that was, was my so favorite. disappointed we couldn't have it last year. I and looking forward to hopefully doing it this year. We just love blessing people. Mm-hmm. And Tell them about, so Kathy and Ron are sort of empty nesters. And most people in their stage of life consider downsizing. <laughs> and so Ron and Kathy were thinking about their future and they upsized. So <laughs> tell, sure tell us a little bit about that. That is true. I had actually been purging my house and getting ready to downsize because we almost paid off our mortgage and we were looking forward to uh, doing less work. And I was... Actually, on like Zoom and um, Zillow. Uh, Zillow. Zillow. Thank you. And We're all consumed um, with Zoom right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, Zillow. And was looking at houses and stuff. The house, the farm had been for sale for ages. And we always, whenever we went by that place, it was like, oh my gosh, I would love to see the inside of that place. I would love to see the inside. Liz goes, Mom, it's been for sale for two years. Why don't you go look at it? And so I got online and I started looking at pictures and I went, it was a horror show, to be honest. You look at it and I went, okay, this place is stuck in the 80s, possibly farther than that. And so we we went and looked. I fell in love with this monstrosity. It you really I mean, I could see Rob Schwartz and Lisa went with us and I could see their eyes. It was like, oh my word, are they really thinking about buying this because it was an awful lot of work, an awful lot of money, and we've done a lot of the work ourselves. So a lot well, of... Well, tell them what you... What it was. Do you want Like that when story? we say farm, what does that mean? It actually was a cattle farm, but it had, in the very beginning, it had cattle, it had sheep, it had chickens way back when. So it's the, like a house and it was how a, many outbuildings? It, it was actually a train depot in New Waterford. The gentleman, uh, Mr. Taylor, Taylor Road, which is where we live, bought one of the depots. Had it moved up to the farm, and that became his house. So then they began to change it and add to it and renovate it. And I cannot tell you how many. We have two doors in our house that lead to nowhere, where (laughs) we're a little interested to find out, I think, where they would go. But yeah, they did some interesting renovations. Um, but when we went in, it was a mess. It was definitely, it was, yeah. Anybody who hasn't seen it, who's listened to the podcast, stop and see. You're welcome. <laughs> well, in the midst of that monstrosity and Why green, did we buy it? No, but you had a vision. I did. And not just for a, a physical vision, but tell us about your vision that you had for this place and your family. And not just your blood family, but the church family and the community. Well, it's a huge property, and there's no way we could possibly use all of it. All we're going to do is grow hay on it. The barns are perfect for parties, get-togethers for church. We have a huge utility back area that has an overhang that we use for picnics, and we love to have the church over. When we couldn't have church, we were doing it out at the farm, back underneath. We were six feet apart, but outside. Outside. 
we could look out over the fields and see the flowers and the trees just starting to get their leaves, and it was gorgeous. Ron is developing a prayer walk that anybody who wants to spend some solitude. We've got these large stones that the gentleman before us, he loved to golf, and he would use them as how far he could golf. It was 195 feet or something, you know, to this stone, and 180 feet to this stone. It's like, well, he's going to do a prayer walk where each stone will have a scripture verse on it and uh, a bench where you can sit and meditate or do some prayer. There's a grove down in the woods that we're going to clear and make that part of the prayer walk Mm. and just open it up to anything the church wants to do that can't be done here at church. You know, is is the farm capable of handling it? And just it's our extended family. The church is welcome to come and and use it too. And we've told people, bring a fishing line, you know, fish in the pond. It's catch and release, but, you know, come spend the day, sit in the gazebo, read your Bible. We have a tiny little kid's playhouse that during the warmer months has games in there and beanbag chairs and, you know, if you want to walk in around and do the prayer thing and leave your kids playing games or something, hopefully they're old enough not to hodlers, um, <laughs> uh, you know, feel free to do that. So we really want it in openness to our home, something to share. That lights us up. Blessing others, really, mm. to bless others and, and make everyone feel at home. <laughs> I can remember we had this one friend. And he's very um, prim and proper. And so we invited the couple to our house, and we had dinner, and then we went and sat on our couch, and we were uh, sitting there talking, and all of a sudden we noticed that he'd fallen asleep on our couch with his feet up on this coffee table. And his wife was so embarrassed, and I said, oh, no. I said, that's what he's supposed to do. I'm glad he feels welcomed and at home here. That's the atmosphere we're trying to create here. Yeah. (laughs) One thing that you had mentioned earlier is about showing people grace. And you and Ron do that so beautifully, Mm -hmm. showing grace to your family. And, you know, you not only have six kids, but you have in-laws as well, son-in-laws. And do you have a daughter-in-law yet? I do. David got married last January. And so talk to us about how you've been able to extend that grace and just continue to love unconditionally even in the midst of messiness with family. I mean, we probably know it's God behind that, but practically, how do you process that when you're walking through family and relationships and just continually being able to show grace and love? Because you guys do it so well. Not sure that's an easy question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess for starters, I don't clarify or qualify that I have in-laws. Once they marry into my family, they're mine. They're not getting back. They are mine forever. <laughs> and so they're... Oh, we should change that then. Yeah. So you have... I don't have... 11 any. kids now? Yeah. I guess we don't qualify at all that there's a distinction. Once once you're part of the family, you're part of the family. And our friends are always our friends. We try very hard to stay in harmony with them. At points, agree to disagree, but... If we decide that a conversation is too hard, it's best to walk away, give it a few days, pray about it, come back and try again. Some things do not get resolved right away, and that's okay because, as you say, families are messy. I guess one of the things that really impacted me with the Bible, and and this is going to sound awful, (laughs) 
<laughs> but when they did the sacrifices to atone for sin, because everybody, and me especially, we all have sin in our life. And when they would sacrifice the animals, they literally laid them out, and there's all this mess, blood, gore, guts, and you walk through it to atone for your sin. It's like, okay, Lord, family's nothing compared to <laughs> looking at that. I mean, yeah, it gets messy, and sometimes there's hurt feelings, but at the end of the day, we are family. We are God's family. We are not of this earth. We are of his kingdom. I know a lot of people have been super upset about current politics and the election, and um, rightly so. But I keep telling my family that are upset, I said, this isn't our kingdom. Our kingdom is in heaven. Our king is in our hearts. He is not the one sitting in the Oval Office. Mm -hmm. we got to remember who the boss is. And I think that's really important to uh, hold on to in a broken world. Remember, our kingdom isn't broken. The other thing that I love... Well, I just want to attest for a moment. Okay. Because I just feel like Chris and I have been the recipients of being treated like family, even when we're not. I mean, I know we're not your kids and we're not... (laughs) Oh and yeah, we're not in-laws. You've you've been but, part of the family since you were teenagers and had you in youth group. Like, <laughs> I feel like I have had the opportunity and the blessing to be under and with Ron and Kathy for a really long time. And not only with youth group, but Chris works for Ron. And just to attest to say how often we are so loved on and cared for, like family. And it's such an amazing experience. For anyone else, it would be a job. Go to work and then you come home. But it has been, Chris goes to work, but it's more than that. We're loved on, we're cared for, we're blessed, and we're treated. Sometimes I feel like we're treated like your kids, you know, and so. Well, good, because I hope so. (laughs) in, In our experience, we've had that opportunity So I just want to say how amazing they are and how bright they let their light shine. And I also appreciated very much that Ron and Kathy have not shied away from hard conversations or for being honest and saying what they feel, even in those situations where it's been like highs and lows or ups and downs. They are very honest and very forthcoming. And I love that. There's no hiding. And I feel like that's part of what makes grace possible is that we don't hide from the mess. Right. You have to stand in the middle of it and right and <laughs> continue to smile and love. Right. Sorry. Your oh, question okay. was. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to make a statement. Another thing that I love about watching you and Ron is that I think a lot of people who are your age or winding down a career or transitioning, the society can make them feel like your time is over and you're past your prime, but you guys continue to have vision for the future and do big things and not just settle, but you guys are like in the thick of it and dreaming big and have a vision and you're going after it. And that's so admirable. Thanks. So well, if you're listening out there, just take a look at Ron and Kathy. And if you're if you're feeling like that, because I know a lot of people are like, that. I'm too old, I'm too this, I'm too that. Let them be an example to you that there is life and there's vision and there's new things ahead and you've got it in you to do it. Because they are truly an inspiration when when you look at that and see what their vision for their family and their community and that they're making it happen. Yeah, so in the midst of this wild life 
would you like to tell us something interesting or random that we haven't heard today? <laughs> well, you guys got such a kick out of uh, my sharing that I learned to crab at age nine. I think I'll share that one. <laughs> I like it. My aunt and uncle, or great aunt and uncle, actually bought a home on the Chesapeake Bay when I was nine. My uncle had been in the Navy for, I forget which war, I think the Second World War. But anyway, he loved to fish and, and anything on the water. And so he taught me to fish underneath the Chesapeake Bay. We'd take the speedboat out. He told, taught me how to drive the speedboat. I can row a boat like a mad person. And to crab, you get up around 6 a.m. It has to still be dark. He would load up a box of donuts and a thermos of coffee. And yes, I drank coffee at nine. And we would get in the rowboat and we would go out to the bay area where the shallow sand part is. And you would tie chicken necks to the end of strings that were also tied to the boat. And you would throw about eight strings over the side and you'd sit there and eat your donut and drink your coffee. And you would see this line go out and the crab was walking with the chicken neck, taking it apart. So your job was to very gently pull the string all the way up to the boat. And just before it would get to the boat, you'd grab the net and you'd scoop them real fast. And you'd throw them in the basket. I was raised on Maryland steamed crabs and I know how to do it. They are delicious. And last year, we actually had them overnighted from Maryland and had a huge crab feast at the farm. That's so with fun. All the kids and the grandkids um, sitting there cracking crabs. We tend to, we'd always gone and gotten the crabs and drove all the way back, but we found a company that will overnight them to you so we don't have to do the 10 hour drive. Oh. And um, it's worth it. That's fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> so all my crab kids know bake how at to the Myers eat, farm. Yeah. <laughs> Eat steamed crabs. They are good. Chicken necks. I had no idea. Chicken necks. Or Limburger cheese. Oh. That is the stinkiest cheese in the universe. But for some reason, crabs like it. (laughs) And that is random information. There you go. All right. Well, we look forward to the crab. What do they call those? Clam bakes? Crab 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 feasts. Crab feasts at the Myers sometime soon. But it's been great hearing your story, and you are such a beautiful picture of how to make family work. And if you're out there listening and you think, oh my gosh, my family's such a mess and this is hard, <laughs> you know, you're not alone. Kathy has shown that she can do family and love and be gracious even without perfectness around her. Because let's face it, none of us are perfect or have perfect families. And family is messy, mm-hmm. but she is a beautiful example of loving well. And having vision for her family. So thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Make sure you tune in next week. We have a special month coming up. If you're listening in order, it's the month of love coming up. And we're going to be talking all about relationships and marriage and divorce and singleness and widowhood. So that sounds interesting. Yeah. So make sure you join us. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.